Welcome to a very special episode of the Galactic Dads podcast as we take this moment to do a deep dive into WandaVision episode 5, that big reveal, and everything else that's coming. So stick around. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? The Galactic Dads podcast, a podcast by Geeky Dads, talking about all things geek. Dad life. I and beyond language all right everybody welcome to this bonus episode of the galactic dads podcast this week our topic will be wandavision episode five and exactly everything crazy that went on in it and more we're going to break down that crazy reveal plus a couple of other thoughts on the state of the MCU in general and everything coming to Disney Plus from that realm of their creator cabinet. Uh, Today, I am not alone. Obviously, I am B, uh, but I will be joined via telephone today uh, with one of the guys I have been trying to get on the show since we got started uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, what, a year and a half ago, um, probably this month. Uh, So what we're going to do, we're going to give him a call up, and we're going to say hi. And here we go. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, there he is. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) this is Steven. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, welcome to the show. Actually, um, I think maybe a year and a half since I started the show. uh, I've been talking about trying to get you on, and here you finally are. Yeah, um, I am. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we can make things uh, work out. I know there's been a a bit of a time difference, time zone difference, and just, you know, uh, normal dad life kind of hectic back in. Yeah, dad life really gets in the way of a lot of stuff. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, when I started this, I didn't think it would take the Marvel Simac universe coming to TV uh, to finally get you on the show. But I guess that's what it took, and I'm glad they did it. So congratulations yeah. on joining us finally. No, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, and congratulations on uh, – on all the success of the show, it's been, uh, it's been so cool to watch you guys. You know, I remember when you came to me, or you mentioned the show early on when you first were launching this, and it's just been it's been a trip watching this thing kind of grow and watching you guys week after week talking about everything, and uh, you know, it's just turning into uh, something larger than life. It almost seems like so. It's been awesome watching this uh, take off. You know what? That that's the nicest way I think anybody has ever come onto this show, and for that, you deserve one of these. <laughs> That's very, that's very nice. That's right. Okay, call oh, yeah, me I'm, I'm bowing. Call you can't see me, but I'm bowing. Yeah, yeah you're, you're definitely, apparently you've had a few drinks this evening. Um, but not speaking, yet, not yet, but I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, you're ready? Are you ready? ready? Good, good, because this evening I uh, thought I'd pay a little tribute. You being in Tampa, I couldn't get my hands on a Tampa-based beer. It just isn't that easy with like a two-day notice. Shipping does not occur that fast, no matter what Prime's TV commercials say. But I did find myself a Stanley Cup champion 2020 Tampa Bay Lightning commemorative glass. And I am drinking my beer out of that this evening. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I feel very, uh, very honored for that. Yes. I, I, I had a lot to do with that uh, Stanley Cup win. So yeah. I, I you did. It. You did. I, I, I talked to the Lightning pretty often. They said, you know what? Couldn't have done it without that Steve Graveman. And then uh, Tom Brady, when he picked up this latest Super Bowl victory, 
I, I heard him shouting your name on the field. Thank you. You had so much to do with this. So <laughs> don't don't tell Matt uh, that with regards to uh, <laughs> the hockey. Yes, uh, or Eric with regards to football. Yeah. Well, I, I won't mention any of that. Uh, and just for fun's sake, we'll say that you're a, a Rays fan as well. And um, yeah, we can all just come at you swinging bats, sticks, and there you <laughs> and throwing footballs at you. It's been a good year for Tampa. It's been a great year for Tampa. It has uh, been an incredible year for Tampa. And forgive me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I hate you, um, because that who who lives in a city where you get all three, all three big, you know, essentially big game the games of the entire season, all of them. You had teams in this year. Yeah, and the uh, and the Rowdies, the um, minor league soccer team, uh, went all the way too, or they went to the uh, playoffs. I don't follow soccer as much, but yeah, it's been incredible, man. It, it's been especially for like the Rays. I mean, honestly, the Rays and the Bucks, the Lightning has always been a, a solid hockey team, obviously. But I, I I would never have predicted that we'd be seeing the Rays playing the World Series uh, anytime soon. I mean, I know they kind of flirted with it, and then uh, uh, for the Bucks to win the Super Bowl, it's just been it's been weird. It's been wild. This, it, it, it sucks there's a pandemic going on because this city has already just been like blowing the roof off with excitement and um, it's kind of subdued anyway with everything going on. I think, uh, you know, like we're real big into pirates. I think there's be like pirate invasions going on nonstop right now. So it wasn't for the <laughs> pandemic. So. Just ships showing up in harbors, just raiding things. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, taking control of like uh, beach bars. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, this is not a sports podcast. However, yeah. it is a very exciting thing. I don't think anybody, uh, any of us, if St. Louis had pulled that off, would be quiet about it for more than two seconds on the show. Um, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. St. Louis is still obviously my hometown, and uh, still pulling for you know I'm a man of uh, two different cities, two different teams, in a lot of ways. So. A regular Harvey Dent of uh, two yeah. cities, if you will. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Tying it all back. There you go. There we go. There we go. Don't worry. I'll zip it together. Uh, speaking of which, though, let's go ahead. Let's talk about those beers real fast. Uh, that is something we do on this show every week. If you are a regular listener, of course, you know. But you can follow us on the Untapped app uh, to see the beers that we have had thus far. You can suggest a few and, uh, you know, maybe get inspired by our own list. And, and I don't know. We might have a new one today with a, a Florida man on the line. Uh, but you can check that out at Untapped slash Galactic Dads. And I'm not going to be a poor host. I'm definitely going to let Steve go first and tell us what you're drinking, friend. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think anybody who's very familiar with uh, the Tampa area, there is a excellent beer down here. There's 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 like 33 different breweries down here around the city. It's a, it's a big brewery city. Um, so coming from St. Louis, I felt very at home. And uh, <laughs> right. one, of, <laughs> one of my favorite breweries used to live right across the street from them called Cigar City Brewery. Uh, they have a beer that's quite a hit down here called the High Lot. Um, J-A-I, I can't spell the rest. It's like the sport. Um, yes, and, a very dangerous uh, sport, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Excellent beer. That is what I'm having tonight. Uh, a little on the hoppier side. You have to uh, uh, appreciate kind of a hoppy beer, but it is um, an excellent um, excellent beer. Uh, excellent on a hot day, and uh, yeah, enjoying it. Excellent. I have terrible news. Uh, unfortunately, we have had the Cigar City Highlight Boat beer, uh, and it just lets you know how much we actually love C- Cigar City. We've had the beers on the show. 
That's awesome. That is awesome. I remember, yeah, Erica is towards Cigar City. So I think so. Yes, I am drinking a Schlafly White Lager. Uh, it's I had on the show before. It's it's a very tasty beer. It's one of those days where you just kind of reach in the fridge and get surprised by whatever it pulls out. It's very tasty, light, not too crazy. It's got a little more flavor than normal Budweiser or anything like that, but it's still just a pretty easy sip and lager, nothing crazy. Um, later in the episode, I will grab one of these Sam Adams Boston lagers, though, um, and those are a little more potent, a little, little stronger on the flavor side, but definitely still worth drinking. No, absolutely. Love, uh, I love Sam Adams. And Schlafly. We miss Schlafly a lot. Whenever we get up to St. Louis, we try to grab a... Try to grab Schlafly out of like, the airport or something like that. Oh, Pack yeah. up as much as we can on the way home. Just fill up my camel bag. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Excellent choices. Yes, great choices, and also for you as well. But uh, let's get into it real fast. If you guys want, you can follow us on the socials real quick. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Galactic Dads. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, for all of my compatriots who are normally on the show who are not here today, you can follow them, uh, but you can definitely pull up their social handles in the notes. So we'll see that later. Steve, do you want some folks reaching out to you via the social media? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't tweet as much as I should or used to, uh, but I still need to be poking around in there occasionally. Just um, follow it at, uh, at Stephen Graven at Twitter. Twitter.com. It's pretty easy. Twitter.com. Um, no, just at yep. the Bluebird. There you go. Yep. All right, very good. So you can check that out, definitely. But really, this is why I came here, and this is why I'm excited to have you on the phone with me. Uh, we have been messaging back and forth um, ever since seeing the show. Uh, let's talk about WandaVision, and especially WandaVision Episode 5. Look, this is a show that I can't believe that they're doing, if that makes sense. Not that they're just like, hey, they're going to do this big storyline. Well, we've seen what they'll do with the Infinity Gauntlet. That's pretty big stuff. I'm just surprised that they went the route that they did with this show. Uh, and I would am dying, just dying to hear your thoughts on the show, just on a very basic overview. And then just, I can't wait for you to drill down into episode five. <laughs> I can't wait to either. You know, it's, it, it, Excellent the way you put it. I can't believe they're doing something like this. I think, uh, you know, when Marvel TV was under Ike Perlmutter's um, reign, it was always it was like part of Marvel. It was always part of the MCU, but it was always at arm's length. Um, I always remember being blown away by uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one when the Winter Soldier, the movie had, I remember seeing Winter Soldier like, on Friday, opening night. And of course, you have the big reveal that, about Hydra. And then that following Monday, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. dealt with the fallout of Hydra controlling S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was, uh, that blew my mind. That was, it was just like the potential of this interconnect. And I remember the time, everything was hashtag is all connected. Everything was all connected. And I was like, oh my God, there's so much potential here. There's so much opportunity. And then it just never quite hit the same level again. Um, as, as time went on, it always kind of stayed. As much as I loved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and and the Runaways on Hulu, obviously the Netflix Marvel shows, everything was just at arm's length. Um, with this show, I mean, this is the first, I think, yeah, the first real baked-in MCU show. Um, you know, like you said, it's never been done before. I was talking to a friend, uh, this past week, I've been talking to so many friends, and we've all been sharing fan theories, and all been kind of dissecting everything. It reminds me of, a Damon Lindelof show 
in the best way where, you know, it's the puzzle box syndrome. It's, it, you're looking at everything and like, what does that mean? What is the fact that my friends and I, like you and I are obsessing over the smallest details, you know, mm-hmm. sitting here playing forensic scientists on every scene is, is, to get that kind of engagement and get that kind of excitement going, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And I think the show is they're just swinging for the fences and they're knocking it out of the park every time. They absolutely are. And you, the way you said it, the way that we're as fans combing through each episode with like a forensic kind of eye at every piece of detail, what magazine is on that table? What time is it on that clock? Who, what is the neighbor doing? What color is the wall that separates their their houses it's like the tiniest details everybody's still rapidly grabbing and saying i think that's what this means and this is what they're trying to tell us and i can't remember a single other tv show where i have looked that hard at something i mean i would pick up on things that were obvious um except for the first time i saw fight club i was not picking up anything obvious because i was still thrown for that twist uh, <laughs> which that movie's 20 21 years old now so if you oh, haven't seen it, yeah, yeah so if you haven't seen it i'm gonna give you a spoiler but throughout the whole movie they're essentially telling you that the narrator is tyler durden and it you kind of just don't pick up on it at all until your second watch you go they told me the entire time and uh, i'm sorry i missed that but since nothing since have i looked that hardcore into episodes on rewatches or anything like that looking for telltale signs and I think Marvel is very aware of that too, especially Feige and everybody involved in the production of WandaVision because they are putting these clues everywhere. If they're not clues to what's actually happening, they're at least great nods to the long history of Wanda and Vision in the comic books, which for the casual Marvel movie fan, they'll be like, wait, they have comic books? Yes, they have lots of them, and there, a lot of them are really good series. Uh, so I love that they're putting that very neatly all over this show. I absolutely agree. I think, uh, you know, I love Tom King's run on, on vision. The yes, vision back in uh, 2015. Was that? Yeah. Back in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a reverent kind of, uh, uh, delightfully macabre kind of take on all of that. And I think when they originally announced this, you know, once he got over the shock of, Oh, they're getting Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. They're getting, you know, obviously visions coming back somehow from the dead. Um, right. And you get once that initial shock wore off, it's like, oh, maybe they're going to be doing something from the vision. Maybe they're going to be, like you said, there's so much rich material to pull from. Um, that they, and then in, in classic Marvel and Feige fashion, they take all that and then run it through a blender. And then out the other end comes something totally new where even like hardcore fans like us are consistently surprised. That's very true. Uh, This last episode, very end of it, is, you know, um, what do we call that? Uh, I direct your attention to Exhibit A. (laughs) Like that. You know what? We're just going to go ahead and say it. Seeing Evan Peters as Pietro or Quicksilver from the Fox Marvel series that had to do with all the mutants and X-Men Days of Future Past and so on and so forth as the Pietro that is the brother of this Wanda in the Marvel Simac universe is crazy. I, I can't believe they did it. Yeah. I, I, I think I literally, well, so I, I knew there was a big reveal. I knew there was a big twist. I heard about something, 
And so, like, I watched some of lunch break on Friday because I was like, I have to get this in before it uh, before it gets ruined for me. I, I I gave myself away in the house because I think I was trying to do it kind of kind of a sly a little bit because I, I just yelled out loud. I'm like, I, I don't remember what I yelled. Probably some excluded that I should have been yelling in earshot of my daughter, but it was completely. I didn't see it coming. I, I think that uh, you know, it, it it works on so many great levels. I mean, obviously, it relies on you know it, it's a big reveal bringing the accent into the model in the, the mcu it's big in the switching out the quicksilvers i mean arguably no offense to um but the aaron johnson aaron uh, johnson yes the evan peters is i, I think more the definitive quicksilver especially with the number of films he's had in that role but just what he brought to it he also and, captures the character of the comics too like he's a little more absolutely a little more, you know, traditional in that sense. But please, I'm, I'm no, so sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, and then there's a, there's another level on top of that where if you're familiar with what's going on behind the scenes, it's, it's even better. If you're aware of the fact that, you know, 20th Century Fox is just bought by Disney and who owns what rights, and that's not everybody. Everybody isn't as uh, obsessed over that kind of stuff. But there's this extra layer of, oh, my God, um, that's playing right on top of it, where you realize you're watching something pretty monumental. And that's exactly what it is. It's monumental, uh, especially for any fan, You're like you said, who's aware of what was going on behind the scenes with the, you know, the acquisition of 20th Century Fox and will they, won't they show the mutants in the Simac universe? That It just kind of a lot of fan theory, what has been said. But there was never a definitive, oh, yeah, you know, they'll get a movie. I mean, we all got shocked back on Disney Day when they announced all of the incredible stuff coming to Disney Plus from Marvel. And Fantastic Four was on there. You know, we don't really have any details about it, but we are like, oh, yes, finally, we're going to get the Fantastic Four we've been dying for in the past almost two decades uh, and so now we don't we still ain't here are they going to do like is x-men coming through um what what's happening and instead of you know coming out and feige saying something straight up just like you know wolverine's going to be on our next poster or something like that they take the one of the more obscure characters from both of those series and say let's just pull this person over let's just do it and see what happens. And of course, I'm sure they have a great plan. None of us are privy to it yet. I'm sure. I'm sure we're going to get some more uh, this coming Friday when Episode Six comes out. But all it's really doing is sending shockwaves of hope and excitement and just this awesome fandom vibe. Like it feels really good to be a Marvel fan again um, in a way that I haven't been excited about since right before Endgame. Right, like this yeah. with the pandemic and stuff. Like we've all been this kind of like winter of Marvel fandom. Um, thankfully, Mandalorian has been out, um, giving great Star Wars uh, tales that we, of course, are all drooling over and love. But now they're turning their eye back towards the Marvel universe and just really paying off all of the fans who have been waiting for so long. No, I absolutely agree. And to go back to that, I, I, there's two points that are kind of connected to this, which is, one, I think you just talked about how next week's episode six or seven? Uh, six. Or, yeah, six, six comes out um, two days. Or this week. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> and 
that is I can't express how crazy it is that that kind of reveal happened mid-season. That this wasn't any, a lot of other shows would have saved that for the final episode of the first season. You mean you like know, uh, Mandalorian season two? Bingo. Exactly. That's, I mean, usually you end on a, on a big note like that. You generate some excitement. Um, you know, it, it keeps people hooked for what's going to happen and come around again the next season. For WandaVision to drop something like that right in the middle of the season, kind of unceremoniously like that, I, you know, it, it boggles the mind about what's coming next because clearly they wouldn't have. These people are good at what they do. This would not have been the peak of what the show's capable of, and then they're just going to, like, ride on the coattails of it for the next three, uh, four or five episodes. Yeah, they, they yeah. definitely would not um, show us their ace this soon, the mid-season. Like, that's not that's not how that goes. Marvel is really good, um, historically, at giving you that sweet end, that just that, mm, yeah, give me another hit off that MCU crack pipe because that one finished really good. Um, they're just stellar at that. Feige somehow has figured out that magic. And so to get, like you said, this kind of a reveal unceremoniously, which is a fantastic way to describe it, because it's not like there was anything on Twitter or any type of campaign that says, who do you think this shocking twist will be or this character reveal, who is it? It was just straight up, hey, here's episode five. And then, no, absolutely. And then yeah. boom, boom. Like if this show came on ABC, imagine the commercials before it, like like the Grey's Anatomy style commercial, like you won't believe who's in the hospital this week. This one's like, yeah. hey, guess uh, guess which one of Wanda's brothers comes back? <laughs> like what? No. <laughs> but then that also, I think that that big of a moment. I think by the time we get to the season finale, isn't going to feel big at all. I think they're going to go so large with this. Um, and I'm really hoping for like one big, really good villain reveal. I completely agree. I think that, like you said, they're, they, they know what they're doing. They, you know, they're really good at this. I mean, and, and this is an escalation of what they've done. You know, with, when you think back to 2008 with the Iron Man post credit singer, and introducing Nick Fury and Shield, and just I remember the theater blowing up at that. I just remember like what? And now we're getting these cinematic experiences streaming at home. We're getting essentially like a what four hour Wandavision movie, um, and they're just dropping bombshells in the middle of the episode. Uh, you know, I, I to go back to Mando. You mentioned Mando. I have a friend who's. He actually reminds me. I, 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 he's like he's like Florida Brandon. He reminds me a lot of you. He he, is, must, he must be pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. He's a very cool guy. Very cool guy. Shout out to Tyler if he's listening. But he is a uh, huge Star Wars guy. Like there are people who are Star Wars fans, and then there's like Tyler, and I mean just really really into it. And so obviously huge in the Mando. But he told me the other day when we were talking about Wandavision that he gets on board and sees it and and sees that. And he says, you know, with, again, how that reveal happened this season, the implications of that kind of reveal, he's like, I'm more excited about what WandaVision is doing week to week than I was at any point with Mando. And wow, for, you know, that's a big statement, 
especially coming from a guy like that. That's incredibly exactly. high praise. It's huge. I cannot think of higher praise for WandaVision than that. Like that's that's the back of the box quote if it was a if it was on D V D and anybody knew who Tyler was, I would put this on the on the back of it. Star like, Wars guy dude. says says WandaVision was more entertaining than Mandalorian week to week. For real. Yeah. He said that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I but it but there's truth to that because you know like I said, or you said all the potential. Um, and, and we're not even diving into the other stuff of that episode yet. I think there are so many big shockwaves or, or small, small tremors maybe that are getting overshadowed by the Quicksilver review. But the entire episode from top to bottom was just, it was red meat for Marvel fans. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, and don't you worry. We're definitely jumping into that. <laughs> good, good. But we'll, we'll keep it with um, Evan Peters' appearance in the show by pointing out that Darcy, who, thank thank the maker, <laughs> is actually on the show. Um, because she's, I mean, Kat Dings is incredible. And to see a character, I love that they're doing obscure characters from the MCU having more prominent roles in, like, the TV show so far. Like, you know, Agent Wu, Kat Dennings, just showing up and really kind of taking uh, like the driver's seat, if you will, for the outside world that's outside of Westview. Uh, it's also great to see Monica Rambeau grown up. We get her backstory. Mm-hmm. What happened to her during the blip? Now she's back. Why is she so high up at S.H.I.E.L.D.? Oh, wait, that's where her mom was, and she built S.W.O.R.D. I Sorry, I said S.H.I.E.L.D. She built S.W.O.R.D. the moment after uh, the credits started rolling for Captain Marvel, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And even... Within that, you get to see how strong she was, but why she's no longer on the board, and how that somehow makes Monica even stronger, uh, which makes her a perfect character to show up in WandaVision. And please, Lord, please, Lord, give it to me. Give her the powers. Let her get her Spectrum powers, and I will be probably one of the happier Marvel fans that there is. Uh, but there's there's a ton of that, and moving back to Darcy, she referenced a recast, a recasted character earlier in the episode. And for some reason, that just does did not click with me until all of a sudden, you know, the big reveal at the end. I was like, oh my God, they recast him. And they recast him with him, but they also kind of told us it was coming. Marvel, no, absolutely. Marvel yeah. does it all the time from start to finish. That was their fight club, I told you so moment. And, and and that's just it. I, I was thinking this earlier. Like this is going to be one of the shows that as soon as the final episode wraps, it's going to be like wanting to dive right back into episode one again and just watch this with the perspective that you have. Um, Absolutely. It, it reminds me of uh, I, I invoked his name earlier, but Lindelof Watson um, adaptation on HBO, which was phenomenal, where, by the way. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And obviously, Watchmen deals with way more uh, complex and mature issues. No offense to WandaVision, but I just mean like with regards to race relations. And, yeah, uh, yeah that, show, that show did a lot of lifting. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's not what WandaVision, it, it's not in the real house, nor is it necessarily supposed to be. But, you know, with, with, with Watchmen, like you just said with Darcy, with these little Easter eggs that are planted along the way, and you're, and you're picking them up as you go along and you get to the end and you're like, oh my God, that's what that meant. And then you go back and you watch the entire episode and it's almost like watching a whole new show. Um, 
with the perspective that you have by the end and you go back to the beginning. And uh, like the reveal of Dr. Manhattan, who that particular character was and all these kinds of things. And I really feel like that. I feel like WandaVision is going to be one of these shows that's just going to be like, it's going to be so much fun to binge this show once it's over and you know where it's going. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the little, the things in this episode in particular that, you know, pretty much occur in every episode, but they're things in this one, it seems to be accelerating and it's watching Wanda starting to lose control a little bit. And I think that that's so fascinating and just overtly, you can see it in Westview. Now there are things that she cannot control and that's very interesting to me. And it's obviously kind of startling to her uh, the more she thinks about it. But the fact that she can't immediately control the twins, Billy and Tommy, uh, I think it's very interesting, especially since we know that some things that go in to Westview come out the way they were in Westview. Um, the rope that was around the sword agent that crawled through the tunnels and turned into a jump rope. And when they pulled it out, the end of it was still a jump rope. And Monica's clothes are, of course, the exact same as when she was on the show when she comes out. Uh, just the reality of them had been altered, as I explained in the show. I find that fascinating because that means there's potential for Tommy and Billy to come out of Westview and be their own independent, you know, on autonomous characters, which I find fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, there's just, there's so much mystery there. It's, you know, I was just looking at, um, you know, we were talking about something out of her control. You know, Wanda even says like, I don't know how this got started. You know, uh, right. at one point, there's, there's so much questioning back and forth on, is she behind this? What is she doing? I, it feels like it's too convenient of an answer for her to be, oh, this is just something that Wanda made. Um, especially with the show peeling back layers right now in every episode. I, I feel like we wouldn't already halfway through just have the explanation that, oh, yeah, this is just the reality of Wanda made and she brainwashed everybody. Um, you know, there's obviously the issue of Agnes. And what's going on there? I was actually just looking at IMDb. Interesting little thing that I didn't pick up until now is that every character on the show, except for Agnes and um, her, her, have a first and last name. Even the most minor characters have a first and last name. Oh, yeah, like uh, Phil Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you get Jimmy Woo, Darcy Lewis. Tyler Hayward, uh, Billy Maximo is the kid's name. Um, yeah, 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 right. Phil Jones, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I guess Dennis and Mailman is not as much. But there are these, there is names here that are Dottie Jones, these full names. And it's interesting that Agnes, especially somebody uh, as famous as Catherine Hahn, right, is this one main character. And this feels like one of those things where we're being at arm's length of the true identity um, where IMDb is going to be. People are going to be rushing to IMDb on the final episode to update the character's name. Um, which is right now, it's almost like a code name. Yeah, so to build on that, the episode where they, uh, it's episode four, where they start trying to identify all of the people on the show when Sword's doing that and trying to figure out who each character actually is in real life. 
they do that and they start pulling up driver's license. And they're pulling them up for everybody. And you can see like a board of how they're identifying everybody and the work that goes into it. And Agnes never has a driver's license. They never identify her the way they do almost all the other characters around her, uh, which was kind of an interesting Easter egg to watch in episode four. So I, I definitely think you're right. There is something up with Agnes that I think will be very entertaining, uh, especially since, you know, the, the running theory for a lot of people at large is that she is Agatha Harkness, uh, who is, you know, a pretty big magic user in the Marvel comic book world. Um, and, of course, Agatha Harkness, Agnes, like, you know, might be a little on the nose, but also might be right on the money. Uh, she could be a main antagonist, if you will, or kind of a co-pilot uh, because she's very much under the will of, of Wanda, right? So, uh, you know, absolutely. And I was just thinking about, so Agatha Harkness, pulling this uh familiar with the character, but pulling up a little bit too and just reminded that she was, um, you know, one of the original witches from the Salem Witch Tribe. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so I'm trying to, and I think that's still the same one. That's the, the prevalent theory here. What's interesting about that too is that, and I think you and I were talking about this before the show, is that with that sequence with the dog, uh, the dog with the lawyers kind of like lights off it, and then eventually he poison berries and dies. Right. Um, In a bush, by the so, way, that's just shaking. Uh, yeah. Which which could be her just strangling the dog back there. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> That's just it. That's just so you know. The one one theory on this is that the dog. This is a dark theory. Is that um, you know the people are brainwashed, like uh, her coworker, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Vision's coworker, and he, you know, breaks him out of the cell. Yes. And the guy's crying out for help. He's clearly aware what's going on, but trapped in his own mind, uh, like a coma patient who's who's aware of what's going on but can't act. Yeah, with locked um, in syndrome, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, and. So the darker theory is that is the dog are animals just not susceptible to this? Did the dog know what was really going on and, and, and just tried to off itself because that was, <laughs> that was a better option than, than being under control? I don't know. Is, is the dog the only one with free uh, agency in this entire world? Oh and my, this, uh, town? My God, that's so uh, dark. Right? I mean, that's a pretty dark, uh, uh, that's how my mind goes. But the other probably more likely scenario is like you said, Agnes is the one who found the dog. Um, and then she brings it over, and I think it was the kids, and correct me if I'm wrong, the kids are like, just bring the dog back to life. And yes. yeah. Agnes' reaction is so interesting, where she's not, she's, she's not like, wait, what the hell did you just say? Like, I mean, she, she, she seems intrigued, but she, she seems a little too chill for someone who just heard, oh, bring the dead dog back to life. Right. Um, you know, it was just kind of like, and then she seems very interested in it. And then she's like, yeah, do it, do it. Like, she's really like, you can do that. Like, she seems really, really kind of on board with that. Actually, that was her first response. Mom, just bring it back. And she just looks right at one and goes, can you do that? Like, cause if you can, I got some things that we need to get working on. Like, that's what that looks like to me. Um, that's, and that's an excellent point because. You know, she talks about her husband quite a bit. We never see the guy. That's true. You know, uh, and now, you know, if, if this is truly uh, 
Agatha Hartnett, and she's one of the original witches from the Salem Witch Trial. It stands the reason that her husband is long dead. Um, but I, I, I keep thinking there's there was a, a personal investment in that. She seemed very, like you said, she kind of zeroed in on it quickly. You can do that. Kind of encouraging. Uh, um, Wanda. What I, I, she maybe she strangled a dog, knowing full well that Wanda could do this, and trying to get confirmation of this, trying to get uh, this out of Wanda. So um, that particular theory is one that I'm more lean to, uh, because I think there's clearly something or someone else at play here that's very aware of what Wanda could conceivably do and is trying to spark that. And I think that was a moment where it was like, Hey, we're going to gear to try and do this right now. And we're going to use the boys to try and make her do it. I don't know that, uh, though they're sweet. Uh, I might be tainted a little bit by some of my comic knowledge on the subject matter, but I don't know that the boys are a good thing for Wanda to have. Um, mm-hmm. especially given the amount of loss that Wanda has endured. Uh, and we'll probably touch on this in a little bit. Um, but if something happens to those boys, I think we're in for like a real, like a real Wanda Maximoff problem. No, that's, that's an excellent point. And they have been talking this last episode, excuse me, this last episode in particular, you know, they were really, really drilling down on, this lady can wreck stuff. Yes. You know, I think they, she could have brought Daniel Sandler single-handedly. Like, she is like, you know, I, I, Wanda is such an incredible character, such a powerful character, and the MCU, for all its greatness, hasn't always really expressed that. You well, know, there's been... Yeah, she's a throwaway character um, up until, I think, Endgame, in that one scene yeah. where she really gives Thanos the business and is about to kill him. And he uh, sacrifices his army, essentially dropping artillery on everyone just to save him from her. I completely agree. I think, I think we as viewers have not seen the true potential of, and, and, and you go back to Asia Ultra, you know, and you, and you think about, I remember how uh, Josh Whedon shot certain scenes, uh, backwards at like uh, 30 frames or 20 frames per second that kind of gave it that stilted, creepy look, you know, and she was doing the mind control of everybody. That oh, yeah. She was this, we haven't really seen that side of Wanda since. And, and granted, it's because she's been good and blah, 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 blah. But I think we are, I, think, I really think the show is going to dive into the, oh, I, I don't know, I haven't been cussing that, oh, crap about, about Wanda. Um, and I, I think you're on, you nailed it with those kids. I think, you know, um, the worst thing that could happen to anybody, any parent, um, and for someone to have experienced so much loss as she has as a parent and her brother, um, the people in her home, or in her, her town, her, own, her hometown, um, vision, you know, like this uh, is oh, a Sokovia, yeah. Like you can't forget yeah. what happened to Sokovia. Absolutely not. And this is a person who's plagued by tragedy. Like, this is a very Shakespearean character in so many ways. And, you know, you're going to... I don't think Wanda gets a happy ending, is what I'm saying. I, I think she wants that, and I think she she desperately needs that. And when Vision was taken from her, all those possibilities were taken from her. 
And and that's what led her down this path. But I think you nailed it. That they're going to, I could see them pulling the rug out from under her in a big way. And and that's when she goes thermonuclear. Well, let's talk about the loss that Wanda has actually endured and how the show is very cleverly touching on each of those key moments in her history. Uh, I think they're, I honestly think the show's doing it with their TV commercials. I think mm-hmm. the TV commercials, which by the way, always has the same two actors in it, right? And yeah. I yeah. think the working theory on that is that they could represent Wanda's parents, right? Mm-hmm. They could be anyone, right? Like they could just be, haha tv actors or like people from the town and she only lets them you know be on the show whenever there's a commercial which by the way is hilarious that she would include commercials in her town which is i mean that's just <laughs> that's so meta and and outside and crazy and the fact that marvel's doing that is is so great uh but the the first commercial is the toaster right and it's yeah. worth noting that the toaster is a Stark Industries toaster. And it has, it sounds like, a timer on it. And one of the big moments in Wanda's history, when you first meet her and her brother, um, really when they talk about in Age of Ultron, her family was killed by a weapon from Stark Industries. And her and her brother were laying next to a bomb that dropped in their house that did not go off, that they waited and waited and assumed was going to detonate and never did. And that was the feeling she must have felt, just like this pure terror that everything around you has been destroyed and now you're next, and then it just never happens, right? And and the name Stark is looking you right in the face, and then you get that a little bit in that first toaster commercial. Yeah, and, 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 and then you get that red, uh, there was all black and white except for the red. Um, mm-hmm. but which obviously is evocative of, of Iron Man, and then just even even again, this is me. I keep bringing this dark edge to everything. I apologize, but like the thing was called the Toastmate 2000. Yeah, I, just, I just, thought that. I just thought mm, maybe I won't go there, but uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> that did but, not yeah, escape I mean, me. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it, it, you look at all this evidence, and you're like, okay, that seems like they're really trying to call back to the bomb. Yeah, because then you get the the Hydra watch, the Baron von Strucker timepiece, which is, I mean, obviously Hydra created her with her powers yeah. through the experimentation on the Mind Stone, um, and yeah. like that's a big moment. It gives her the ability, and then I know I'm missing another one. Um, the bath, we get the, uh, the bath stuff. The, yeah, um, which was great, also good, uh, but the one that I thought was the most interesting was on episode five and it's the paper towels the the lagos brand paper towels uh for cleaning up a mistake that you didn't mean to make right and it's sopping up this red liquid uh which you know you you think scarlet witch like that color fits but then you think oh yeah she was responsible for the incident in lagos at the beginning of of captain america civil war which accidentally exploded um, I don't know why his name's from, um, Crossbones. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Crossbones, his, his bomb vest that he was wearing, she throws him into a building with people, uh, to save cap and the immediate people in the vicinity and it detonates and people die. And that is something she did not mean to do, but it happened. And 
pretty much is the whole reason we got the Sokovian Accords, which were, of course, aptly named after Sokovia, right, in the incident that occurred there. But also, that's another big, huge tragedy thrown in her face. And that's also the first time we get to see in Civil War how powerful Wanda is because Vision is essentially just her babysitter keeping her under house arrest, right? Now, of course, that's the beginning of the relationship, but how easily she dispatches Vision through the floor to escape with Clint in that movie is pretty noteworthy. And, yeah. And then, you know, okay. Oh, that's okay. And then, like, that's your first real hint that, hey, man, this chick's pretty powerful. And then, of course, she starts to kind of unleash her powers a bit more in Infinity War. And then, of course, the big moment in Endgame. Um, and all of that, coupled with that the show is hinting at her just massive traumas uh, and the loss of vision, of, of course, I'm sure is coming, which I can only imagine will be like something about like a diamond in the rough or something pulled out of the earth or, you know, like that. I'm trying to envision what that commercial is going to look like. Um, you you read my mind on that. I, I think that's, that's the next logical conclusion. Since the, all these commercials kind of seem to be recalling massive trauma um, and pivotal moments in our life. Yeah. And then, of course... Um, who knows, uh, the way the show goes, it might give you a commercial that's telling you what's coming next season. You never know. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I think we're getting all this trauma. And of course, you know, Wanda hasn't really been able to express that grief. And I think this is her way of doing it. Um, the whole premise of the show and everything like she wants that happy life that you would see on TV. And if it hasn't been given to her, then, well, now she's going to make it. I think that's pretty huge and in a way of kind of thinking at the show as an extension of Wanda's psyche and why she would be doing something like this. Uh, And, you know, when you look at it like that, you're like, you're already on Wanda's side, but you're a lot more empathetic about it now. Um, And then it makes you really wonder, and I know we talked about this before, but if this goes wrong, what kind of consequences will there be? How will she express all of that grief coupled with whatever comes from this? Yeah. Watch the final commercial also be an ad for the Book of Boba. For what? Oh, the Book Every, of Boba. Yes. The Book yeah. of Boba. Everything just keeps all roads go back to Boba Fett for Disney. All roads. I, all roads. Yeah, she I, throws I think, everyone in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> That's a big crossover that's coming. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think that um, uh, now I lost my train of thought uh, making stupid jokes. But um, oh, the, that uh, just makes that makes you one of us on the show then, because we that, do that every episode. <laughs> I totally had a good thought too, and I lost it. Um, I don't know. We're, we're so, what we, yeah, what we were talking back. about is the final commercials and how they show the grief, and how that will come to a climax. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if these shows, you know, again, going back to what Marvel's traditionally done, you know, every movie has set up another um, movie, you know, and and expanded the corners of the MCU a little bit. Um, And, of course, they they kind of carried over that tradition a little bit with Star Wars, like you saw with Mando, where they ended, uh, well, there's, I guess, her, her season two of Mando, but they ended with a teaser for the Boba Fett spinoff. 
Um, right. It's going to be interesting knowing. I mean, I, I think Cap or uh, Bucky and um, Winter Soldier are going to be, or sorry, Winter Soldier and Falcon are going to be kind of its own. I, I don't see it being too connected, but you know, Loki is a mysterious one where we know um, what the show to kick off is the Tesseract with him getting the Tesseract out of that uh, right, pivotal right. scene in Endgame and him going. But I could see a lot of these realities bending, influencing that. And then further, you know, we go, we go back to the Quicksilver thing real quick, is that any other show, I would have said, oh, this is just a, a cheeky nod. That, um, you know, obviously the crossover is a staple of 90s, the 80s and 90s sitcom. Um, Absolutely. You know, the, the, I think this episode was called a, like a, a very special episode or something. It, it's evocative of these, oh, let's get some celebrity who's, you know, got them on, on the paper scale or something like that to show up and kind of um, fumble around the, the house for an episode in the least. And so there's all that kind of uh, playing into it because the show is just playing on TV shows. But Spidey has said that this ties into Doc Strange 2, which we know is about the multiverse. Um, the multiverse of madness, no less. Yeah, yeah not just even the multiverse, the multiverse of madness. And that it ties into Spidey 3, which based on all the casting news is, is clearly going down the same path. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see where this show with the commercials and the little nods and all that, as we start building that word past Wanda and seeing where it kind of pushes the corners of the MCU a little bit in the new direction. I would not be, side note is I would not be shocked if, we talked about earlier about what big things are coming would not be shocked if that uh, strange shows up at the end of the season. I, I think it's almost. I think it's almost natural at this point. I almost think it's, it's going to be necessary, actually. But yeah, you're like, yeah. Well, yeah, there was somebody because WandaVision is going to go thermonuclear. I, I, I think there is a there is a pressure cooker build, pressure cooker building, um, and and what I mean. Was Agent Park who's going to bring down WandaVision? I, you know, they're, they're going to have to start calling the big guns um, at some point, or maybe that goes into a uh, spectrum and and all this. But sorry, wildly kind of off tangent uh, rant. But. I don't know. I think that that plays well. You're right. An almost an organic way for them to end the show with like a big, like that big. Oh, you thought you know Quicksilver's reveal was cool. Check this out. You're absolutely right. The person that should show up is probably Doctor Strange. I mean, after all, in this show, Wanda is, you know, allegedly altering reality. Uh, How did Doctor Strange introduce himself to Tony Stark? Uh, I'm just the protector of reality. Yeah. And and obviously, if it gets that crazy, he's going to have to show up. Um, Especially since, you know, we know Wanda is and the very least on the poster from Dr. Strange too. Uh, it feels like that is the organic route to take, but I'm still really interested in my own personal theory is that somehow the mind stone itself is at play here. Um, and yeah. I think that way because I know I have seen some teaser footage of it almost looks like Wanda is looking at the stone. And it's like she has her hand outreached towards it. Now, 
The difficulty with that is realizing that we're not really sure where the stone is now. At the end of Endgame, it's being replaced in time. Oh, hang on. Hold that thought. I have a very special guest who should be in bed. Give me just one moment, folks. <laughs> Kinsley, say hello. Say hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Kinsley. How you doing? Unfortunately, she cannot hear you. You are going through my headphones. Uh, but oh. but she says she's doing well. She wants to say hi, and she would love to come to Florida and hang out with your kiddos. Give me just a moment. I'm going to go uh, replace her in bed, and I'll be right yeah. back, okay? Feel free, no, by the way, to, to just, you know, monologue this bad boy. <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. Now that Brandon's really gone, here's what I'm thinking. All right, okay, I made it back. Oh, it's all good. And, and of I course, you're anyway, I had, I had nothing clever to add. Oh, I, I almost halfway expected to pick up the headset and just hear you going at it, um, but that's no big deal. It's been a, it's been a long day. Otherwise, it, I totally would have. <laughs> it has. It really has. But I forgot where I was. Where was I before we? Oh, the Mindstone. If the Mindstone yeah. was at play, uh, it would be interesting to me if the Mindstone was at play because. Everyone in Westview is under this mind control, right? And up mm-hmm. until this point, we've seen Wanda do a little bit of mind control, but nothing too crazy, right? But now, just to hear, it's almost like the anti-life equation, the way it's explained in comics, if you're a DC fan. Yeah. And how it's just this nonstop pounding wave after wave, just breaking your will. It's almost the same way that this mind control is occurring to the people in Westview right now in the way they explain it. They're very aware, and they're obviously in pain, as Vision becomes aware of. I find that interesting because I think maybe the Mind Stone itself is doing it, but we don't know where the Mind Stone is. Because the last time we saw it was with Captain America when he was replacing it in the timeline, right? Mm-hmm. So where'd the Mind Stone go? Wouldn't it still be in Vision's forehead? Yeah, he has a he has a stone in his forehead. We see it, right? Yes, but that's this interpretation of vision. Like, yeah, that's the one but that Wanda's kind of controlling. And I yeah. think at the end of episode three, we know that it's not actually there because she sees Vision's body with the hole in his head, right? Yeah, For only okay. a moment. And then she says, no, we can't leave. Because she knows if they leave, he's not coming, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think the stone is in his head, which I think, and now I'm, we're going back a ways, and uh, I'm a dad now, long days. My brain does not keep all of this information like it used to. I'm pretty yeah. sure if Cap took the stones at the end of Endgame to replace them all in the timeline to where they were safe, wouldn't he have put it back it would still have ended up in Vision's head. It would make sense, right? I guess it depends on where Vision's body is at the moment. Well, what, it was, yeah, it was at Sword. Sword had it, which is yeah. where Wanda breaks in and takes the body back. But uh, the Mind Stone's not there. Unless, ooh, maybe, maybe the Mind Stone is at Sword. I'm thinking it is because, you know, remember that. Sword moved away. We know between Captain Marvel and current day that Sword moved away from um, the manned space missions. And it was at the AI, robotic. Right. Yes, which I, is I, key I, because, of course, then they want Vision's body. And, and clearly the weapon. I mean, 
Of course. And it would stand the reason that if the Mind Stone were to be somewhere, um, or it is somewhere, I'd pretty good probability that it would be a sword in some capacity. The more I think about that, the more that kind of makes sense in my brain. Um, because in that trailer where I've seen Wanda interacting with the Mind Stone, it seems like she's in some type of like government-looking building, like a lab mm-hmm. almost. I think when Wanda says in episode five, I don't even know how all this started, I think it starts when she interacts with the Mind Stone again. I that think, would be fascinating. I think, and this is just me spitballing here, I think that's the catalyst of this show. I think she goes to get Vision's body and encounters the Mind Stone. And that's where this all begins. Well, and to play off that, going to your earlier point about, you know, Wanda and, and mind control um, and all this, what if the, what if the Mind Stone is just amplifying her abilities? Uh, you know, what she has basically going through the Mind Stone just supercharges everything. This just exponentially increases um, the already powerful character's abilities even further. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's what we get. Because her powers come from it and experimentation on it. What if it's just saying, you know, like what if it's a sentient stone the way that the soul stone probably is? Because the soul stone exacts a terrible price, a soul for a stone. What Hmm. if the mind stone is also sentient and and wants to interact with somebody who it has clearly affected. That would be interesting because it would make sense, right? I mean, what makes the soul stone sentient? I don't think we've explained this, but what makes the soul stone sentient and not the others? I mean, it, it stands the reason that they're all, if one sentient that they all would be, right? I mean. I don't know. At least the ones with those types of aspects, I could see. Like the yeah. mind, the mind being sentient would make sense, right? The soul definitely. The power, maybe not. Uh, the space stone, maybe not. Um, time, I, I think time is more of a tool, really, than a personification of anything. Uh, so the way that that's utilized, especially in Doctor Strange, uh, makes a lot of sense as well. I don't know. I don't know. I think that that would be a smart in my mind trying to rationalize this i think it would be a smart like on episode nine or eight whatever the penultimate episode is we get to see oh this is how this all started i i think that would be a good reveal and then it also that would satisfy there's no need for a bigger villain but leaves plenty of room for one if they want it yeah, it would be interesting because you have this. I mean, and, and that's the thing is, WandaVision is kind of a obviously much more intimate show in a lot of ways. Um, Most certainly, that, and 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 so it would stand the reason that maybe something like the stone or all uh, just seeing Wanda's own doing um, her working through, which is clearly working through the tragedies and and trauma. Um, that that is the key antagonist. You know, like I, I think we've all been kind of um, theorizing that, oh, it's Mephisto or, or, you know, something like that, which is still totally on, on, on the board. But it would almost be fitting of what they've done with the show so far to kind of turn the gaze inward a little bit and not make this a big bad that's kind of lurking on the fringes. Or I maybe mean, it is lurking on the fringes, but not actively engaged in everything. Agreed. Agreed. I think it works more organically if this is more of a 
introspective look at Wanda with some enhancement, um, perhaps from the Mind Stone, of course. Um, but also the Mephisto angle is so, like, it's just so rich. Like, I just want to bite my teeth into that, right? I want mm-hmm. Mephisto's, like, pieces of his soul to be the, the twins. <laughs> like, I just want that. That's what I want. The Marvel fan in me goes, yeah, that's what they did in the comics, and it drove her batshit. Yeah. Language. Dirty mouth. I just yeah. want to see that. And that would be fantastic. I think everyone really, everyone who's going the Mephisto route is going, yeah, the twins are here. Yeah, it's it's happening. It's happening. Well, and, and again, you know, I keep going back and maybe I'm putting some stock in the, in the, in the throwaway lines. If I give it, how it's tying into Doc Strange, too. And Mephisto has to be a part of that. He has to be a, 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 involved in that on some level. It would make sense to kind of, even if, He's not the big bad. Even if he's just still working on the fringes, which is what he did with Thanos for uh, you know for horror movie movies. Um, yes. And and, and it yes. kind of sounds consistently with what if he's just kind of hanging on the fringes here? And I don't even remember which comes first, Spidey three or Doc two. But it would be interesting to kind of have him heat up a little bit. You know, they, they talked about how this thing is going to be smaller arcs. There's not going to be a major arc in Phase Four. True. It, it's going to be these these smaller little arcs. It would be interesting to have a Mephisto type or Mephisto as the antagonist in WandaVision, Doc Strange and Spidey. And then kind of call it that or whatever order that is. All right, well, let, um, me, let me help you out. Think Mephisto and how he is a villain who was involved in the Infinity Gauntlet. He, I mean, he was standing there when Thanos snapped originally, right? He was like, oh, my God, it's beautiful. He did it. Um, but he's also is responsible for some of the madness that kicks off Decimation and House of M, right, which mm-hmm. is huge, which I know we wanted to touch on that and then go into it for just a minute because you said something this week that blew my mind. I definitely want to talk about it. Yeah, but, I never going to say. <laughs> but don't forget, Mephisto was also a, uh, a villain for Spider-Man. In an infamous story arc called One More Day, mm-hmm. where they, yeah. where he erases Peter Parker's secret identity knowledge to the world. Yeah. And at the very end of Homecoming, what happens to Spider Man? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're so right. <laughs> now, the cost, of, the cost of that in the comic books was Mephisto wanted the relationship of Peter Parker and Mary Jane. He wanted that happiness. Like he could not stand it. So his bargain for that deal was to also save Aunt May's life and erase the world's knowledge of Spider-Man's secret identity. He wanted their marriage and he got it. It was, it was a revamp for Spider-Man at the time, which wasn't felt very positively by all the fans. Um, But that was a storyline that they did to, I can't believe that that just occurred to me. That's so exciting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I This is interesting. And I, I would say that that's too, like, too crazy, too, like, that's far too nuts for Feige to go after. But no, it's not. Like, there's nothing no. that man won't go after uh, and pull off. Or at least, at the very least, green light and say, yeah, yeah, you guys are killing it. Keep going with that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having a serious conversation here about them pulling in 20th Century Fox's X-Men into into the MCU and, and, and characters crossing over and just going, oh, we're kind of casually doing it in a TV show. Like, you know, this is the same 
uh, if I get the same person and then to use the same uh, IP that has said, yeah, we're going to put all our money on Ant-Man or a talking tree and a gun-toting raccoon. Like, this is not... I, 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 and I'm at the point where nothing is off the limit to me, I, I think, for the MCU. I think... I swear, yeah, at like, this point, I could see Mickey show up and stomp ass, and it would just be like, yep, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. An Avengers versus Justice League movie makes sense to me these days. Like, it's so... The most absurd thing I can picture. And... I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think anything's outside the realm of possibility anymore. It's, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's certainly, there's nothing's off the table anymore. And by the well, way, and, what a great time to be alive as a as just a fan of anything geeky. Like, what a time. Yeah. You, re, you remember when we were in high school? And like, and, and I remember having serious discussions about superhero movies. And going, oh, well, they would never do that because it's going to require too much special effects. Or they would never do that because it's too out there. I remember, I remember having discussions about Ghost Rider. Oh, they're going to do Ghost Rider. Yeah, this is going to be like a dude in a lot of masks that's like in Dowsing Harrison or something because everything had to be gritty and grounded and um, just sold. I mean, you know, it, to that effect. Remember when the X Men movie, the first X Men movie, came out? And they all get in the yeah, they get in the Quinjet the end or in the final act or that. And Wolverine makes some kind of snarky comment about the matching leather suits. And they're like, what do you expect, Bruno Spandex? And everybody's like, ha, 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 comic books. And, yeah. and now you're they, like, yes, that is exactly yeah. what we expect. <laughs> Go to first class. Actually, first class and like, wait, yeah, 20 uh, whatever it was. And, and they're all in blue and yellow spandex. And that's, like you said, that's what we expect now. It would be met with so much derision if, uh, there was an action movie or any superhero movie where people, they all, an Avengers movie, let's say, where they all just showed up in black leather, you know, because they were ashamed of being superheroes. And this stuff is big money. This stuff is um, super popular. And because of the quality of what they're doing, it doesn't matter how far out there it is. People lap it up. Us nerds are happy and casual fans are along for the ride. It's ridiculous. That's absolutely true. 100% true. But you're right. It's because they're doing it so well that they can get away with it. Uh, case in point, it's really hard. <laughs> and it's easy to poke fun over at DC right now. But, um, you know, a great example of that is they took Aquaman. the mm-hmm. most One of the most laughable characters of the Justice League. Well, what's your power? You mm-hmm. talk to fish. And he was like, yeah, sharks. And now he's got tattoos and a drinking problem. And you know, like, <laughs> but he's cool. And they made him cool. And that yeah. movie was good. And you know, people responded by going to the box office and giving it over a billion dollars. It works if it's done right. And that's a part where DC struggles. But Marvel somehow, through pure uncanny magic, gets right every time. Every time. And I'm looking right squarely at Guardians of the Galaxy. That is a movie mm-hmm. that should not have existed by anybody's expectation. And they're like, no, not only is it going to exist, it's going to be one of the cornerstones of this entire thing. And it is. I mean, now so much so that they merged the Guardians of the Galaxy with Thor. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and yeah, I remember that scene. That, what, people literally, everybody, there was a period of time, and you remember this, is that everybody was chomping at the bit to be like, this is it. This is where Marvel fails. This is where Marvel stumbles. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. That was know, like, and I'm sure there were articles that said, has Marvel oh, seen yeah. its peak and are they on the way out? And then all of a sudden like that, the peak just got higher. Well, yeah. Guardians for me was that peak where you had, um, St. Louis's own James Gunn, um, you know, up to that point, I think his only major motion picture that slither, uh, you know, Ooh, came from the so, trauma. Yeah. yeah. He came from the trauma film, Tromey and Juliet. And you know, the, the, the house of toxic Avenger, like doing these schlocky B movie, um, uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, junk, and then taking this property that's just so effing insane, and, and and they just crushed it. I mean, and like you said, it's like you know, this this there was a box around the MCU, and it just pushed the boundaries in every direction and just expanded the MCU in a ridiculous way. Do you know what I think and it is? By the, the way. Tie- Oh, was that? Please continue, and then I think I I unlocked, and my I was just sitting here listening to you, and I think I unlocked what the Marvel magic is. But please continue, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, no, no, I love to hear this because I, I, to tie back into Wandavision is that I feel like Wandavision is doing the same thing again, where you know this almost feels like Marvel going, okay, we conquered cinema, we we've done this. I mean, remember when Avengers? was a mind-blowing film. This idea of taking these four different, or three different four, uh, films and tying them all together and making a big um, super group of a movie. And it just being like, what in the hell? I've never seen anything like this. And then that was the peak. And then to your point, they find like something like Guardians. That's another peak. And they keep doing these peaks, obviously culminating in Infinity War again. And now it's almost like they're going, okay, Let's do what we did, but for television. That yeah. the MCU's side of television has been either neglected or ignored. And again, there was, you know, there's a lot of uh, inner studio drama between I Mutter and Kevin Feige and, and them not getting along and that creating kind of a rift between the two sides of, of Marvel. Now that Kevin Feige oversees all of it, it's, I just feel like it, I'm getting the impression here that they're taking this and they're going, okay, let's push those founders again. And, and that's where it seems like it's butting up against what's going to be the next big thing in Marvel, which is the multiverse. Absolutely. I, I agree with you, um, especially giving Feige the keys to the entire Marvel kingdom. Uh, he now oversees, at some capacity, the comic book line. Like he's, yeah. I mean, he <laughs> runs that. Um I mean, very probably, very, very, very high level. Like, he's obviously not in the bullpen every week coming up in editorial and, and working stuff mm-hmm. out, but um, he has the total keys to the kingdom when it comes to Marvel, now cinematic and the TV side, uh, which I think is great because so far he knows the magic uh, that we've been talking about. He knows how to do it. And I'm very excited to see them push the TV envelope because to me as a consumer of media and its various forms, movies will give you good villains, right? But a movie can never give you as good a villain as a TV series can. Absolutely. You know, you might get 15 minutes of on-screen time of your villain, your favorite villain in any movie on a TV show, especially, and I'm looking at shows like breaking bad who have really pushed this envelope of, this is your villain. 
go spend time with them for a while and you, you just get to love them. And what, what I'm hoping that means is that we get to see Baron Zemo really unfold, Mm -hmm. really unfold because in civil war, his plan was good. He was one of the more effective villains of the Marvel Cinematic universe. He didn't have any powers. Yeah. And he was, he he was (laughs) every bit as traumatized as Scarlet Witch was. Mm -hmm. And yet nobody makes that connection. They come from the same place. They have suffered the same type of trauma Mm -hmm. and they're not that different. And thank the Lord that we get to see him more so in the Falcon, the winter soldier. Um, But I, I just think it's interesting that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's almost glossed over how much Civil War is birthing the the TV shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that well, gave, that gave us Bucky, gave us you know Falcon, which obviously they get their own show, uh, and that gave us Wanda kind of going off the rails a little bit again, even though she's trying to be good. Started in Civil War, and now we see it here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that they're making that matter, but to touch on the magic that I, I was thinking of that they captured, uh, since we just went somewhere really dark is the comedy. It's the comedy that sells the Marvel universe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, hands down, if you're looking great special effects, good scripts, smaller plot holes than other series that try and go this big, uh, it's still the comedy. Uh, Iron Man laughs, Captain America's somewhat funny Thor got more popular when he went full-blown comedy uh, from dark <laughs> world to, to Ragnarok. I mean, look at that look at, leaps and bounds better, right? Mm-hmm. It, although I will argue the first one's still a ridiculously funny fish out of water movie, but yeah. Oh no, that one is good, but now I'm thinking dark world. Like he's still trying to be serious. Yeah. And then when they decide, you know what, screw it, just let them have some fun. Yeah, and then of course that movie becomes insanely popular. Um, I think that's where DC struggles because they try and make everything so serious, uh, at least from the Zack Snyder kind of esque area. Uh, and those movies over there don't get better until they stop taking themselves so seriously. And I, you nailed it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that's definitely the magic. That's the Marvel magic, right? Because as a fan, I will suspend my disbelief quite a bit. And I will ex- suspend that so much further if you make me laugh. Right? So here, that's why Paul Rudd's Ant-Man, right? Like, come on, who really wants to watch an Ant-Man movie? Oh, Paul Rudd, huh? <laughs> oh, okay, I'm in, right? Absolutely. I, I, I think what's funny about that, too, is I hear criticism of that sometimes. Um, that the Marvel movies are oh too funny or da, da, da. but you just use the word that nails it at the heart of it, which is fun. And I think, you know, you and I are both comic book dorks. I think there are uh, graphic novels and books. I mean, one of my favorite books of all time, and this is not like a very unpopular opinion, but it's Watchmen. Oh, not absolutely. What I would call, yeah, it's not what I would call a fun book, but I've read Watchmen. I've obsessed over Watchmen more times than I can possibly imagine. I literally have three different versions of the book. And, uh, but comic books at their core are meant to be 
fun most of the time. You know, and you get the weird ones, or you get the ones that are like that are kind of deconstructionist and everything, but Marvel seems to understand that joy that can be found in, like you said, in these ridiculous scenarios. I mean, all these characters are, uh, the face value are ridiculous. I was, I, my wife, Melissa, you know, Melissa, is, she's not, um, I'm sorry, who? Somewhat, no, yeah, okay. exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. <laughs> so they, uh, Hello, yeah. Like, uh, uh, no, she's not as big into the Marvel side of it. Um, and her argument, which I think is very sound, which is that she's like, this seems like a lot of work at this point to kind of the kid involved and, and, yeah, and get engaged. We're, we're like, like, like what, 20, 22, 23 movies in? Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's a chore. Yeah. That, that's a fair argument. Um, but, you know, the ones that she has seen, the stuff she has kind of glommed onto, it's either because uh, apparently she figured out who Chris Evans is recently and, and, and now it's very interesting Chris Evans, unfortunately, or um, the fact that it's funny and it's fun and it's accessible. Um, and, and, and there's magic to that. You know, you just talked about DC. I don't know if you saw today, the, um, the Joker image, the new, uh, of, of Zack Snyder's uh, R-rated. Um, oh, yes. Oh yes, there. Yeah, I will exactly. And there's this. this, but this is the most comically Zack Snyder thing I've ever seen, which is that apparently he wears a bulletproof vest full of badges of dead police officers that he killed. <laughs> this is so. Like, this is almost like Zack Snyder's satire. Like it's almost like a ridiculous. Um, take on everything that Zack Snyder's done with his dark edgelord stuff and 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 that's the thing is I think you know people think of you think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it's expanded Marvel into so many people's minds and hearts Um, it's a household brand now yeah and 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 people I mean everybody always knew who Spider-Man was I think it's before he was ranked the second or third most popular superhero I think Superman being one and then I don't know Two or three was, but um, I think it actually goes think, most recognizable superhero. It goes Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Okay, that makes sense. Batman is too. Duh, that makes sense. And, and and I think a lot of people knew who the Hulk was and things like that. But I have friends and family who never picked up a comic book, and they know who Hawkeye is. They know who Scarlet Witch is. They know who, and it's because of what you just said with Marvel's magic. That they, um, you know, it, 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 it's fun escapism. And it's, I think a lot of times comic books get looked down upon for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, and there are fair arguments for a history of objectification of women or the weird edgelord uh, um, bulletproof vest made out of top badges and things like that. Like, it just—it it sounds like something like a twelve-year-old would like scroll in the margin of their notebook, you know? Like, yeah, that's, absolutely, that's, yeah. And <laughs> and that's kind of the argument that's leveled against comic books a lot. And instead, Marvel went, "No, let's have fun. Let's get some big-name directors, some big-name actors. I mean, this stuff is—it's become a, like a, a gravitational pull in our media where everybody wants to be engaged with this. You know, I feel like there's no name that." too big for the MCU. That's like, oh, I don't want to be involved with this anymore. You know, I don't want to be, 
I mean, everybody kind of wants to know this. It's exciting. It's fun. And it's that magic with Amos that we talked about. Yeah, which is really impressive um, because even more under that umbrella of Disney, you know, anybody who's anybody, I don't care if you're a nobody, you still would love to be a part of the Star Wars universe, the Marvel mm-hmm. universe. If somebody gave you the chance to be the voice of a character in Pixar movie for like half a second, you jump on it, let alone if you're yeah. an animator. My God, that's, you know. That's the dream, right? Like all this is the dream, and especially for people like you and I, who honestly are just creative at heart. Being yeah. able to to experience the draw and the pull of being a part of Marvel in any way, you know, at this point, I'd be happy to run one of their blogs. Like I just, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like that that pull is just fantastic, right? And then to have that pull on such a broad appeal to just normal people who aren't predispositioned to care about superheroes that, you know, we've, we've said again, it'll probably be the name of the episode is the Marvel magic. Uh, It's huge. It's impressive. Um, I think they've only kind of stuttered on that a little bit. And I think it was with Thor too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and that shows because it's essentially everybody's least favorite Marvel film, and that's why. Because and it was a darker Marvel movie too; yeah. like it was a little bit more gritty. And when you break it down, if you let that movie stand on its own, it's cool. I will watch Thor: Dark World anytime it's on. If it's on, mm-hmm. I'm not changing the channel, right? Because I enjoy the characters and I really like the Dark Elves, and I think Malekith is yeah. such an incredible villain that to see him not get his due in, in the movie, which I, I think he got his due. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was a villain that was on par with Ronan the Accuser, who was oddly out of place in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, But I, I feel like, you know, he was villainous. He had stakes. He had a reason to hate Asgard, which it seems every Thor villain does. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of every Thor movie is like, dude, Odin was a dick. Yeah, hey, uh, buddy, I know you do lightning and stuff, but your old man has like, he's essentially he's an old he's an old white guy, and uh, yeah, everything yeah. that goes with that, um, <laughs> which is great, right? So when he dies, things get better in the Thor world <laughs> until Asgard's <laughs> slaughtered, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> but things do get a little lighter, uh, even amidst, uh, you know, Asgardian genocide. But um, it's, it's looking at you, Thanos. But, uh, you know, like, it's it's the fun, the, the magic. Like we said, like, you go from Thor Dark World and you take it to... Ah, oh, we're friends from work and Jeff Goldblum in Thor three, right? Just pure craziness. And it, it just works. Guardians of the Galaxy just works. By the way, Thor three never happens without the success of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One and Two. Uh had those that, not yeah. had those not had the success they had, I don't think that's the turn that, that Thor takes. Um I but, completely agree with that. I completely agree. I think that was one of those we keep talking about like those peaks. That was that was that was one of the pivotal moments in the MCU where they were like, "Oh, we can go into kind of punk rock sensibility a little bit." Oh, absolutely! And then we can see just how far we can push it. Yeah, and uh, just like you know, with the popularity of Loki, 
you know, if, if that just didn't do so well, he would not be as prevalent as he is. He would not yeah. have, have gone past Avengers um, and, and let alone shown up in Thor Dark World or, you know, Ragnarok or getting his own Disney Plus series, uh, which is uh, actually really interesting because one of the scenes in the trailer, he's D.B. Cooper. For real, 100%. That is that scene, which is crazy and makes so much sense in the real world. I think it really was Loki. I'm so glad you said that because I feel like I was the only person, I'm sure those people on I have not seen it, they're like zeroed in on that. Like, holy crap, am I the only one? (laughs) I know because I don't think a lot of people know that story. So, uh, that the story of DB Cooper is something we can jump into on uh, our next cast together. Which because I'm, I'm sure we'll do Loki ones as well. I, I absolutely sure. I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, if he, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of mysteries uh, throughout history that could be easily attributed to Loki. So it'd be, it'd be fascinating. But absolutely. By the way, um, I'm I'm going to go on record and say it. Loki will be historical fiction. It, it's a series on historical fiction. Is what that will be. <laughs> As long as they don't try to uh, shoehorn into the grassy knoll or anything like that. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> the darker side of it. You know what they did that on um, Umbrella Academy season two, so they might stray away from it, or they might go, "Hey, here's how you do it better, and do it in like five minutes in one episode." Yeah. <laughs> but anywho, um, there's a lot of fun. Uh, going on in the Marvel Universe again, which I know we don't have Black Widow yet, but it feels really good to be excited about this corner of fandom again. Uh, there was there was a bit of time where I was concerned, and I, I didn't know just how badly COVID was affecting uh, the production in Hollywood and all these places. So it's good to see all these, these shows coming out finally. Uh, it gives me hope well, for the movies. I, I agree. I think you know, I, I don't. I, I'm Marvel is very near to my dear to my heart. I've always been a big Marvel guy, um, but you know, I, I, I'm I am somebody who is susceptible to fatigue of anything. Um, you know, I used to be a ridiculous Star Wars fan, and I've kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit just because the amount of Star Wars content over the last few years has kind of been a lot. And I think with Endgame. With that being just such a culmination on everything, it's interesting and it weirdly, as big of a tragedy and as awful as COVID is, it really works in Marvel's favor a little bit to force them, I think, to have taken a break, uh, to take it a year and saying, we're just not doing anything for a year. Um, I think, you know, obviously Disney shareholders would feel differently than that statement, but I think creatively, and I think the audience's appetite for this. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that the, the Marvel has come back uh, out of the gate here with WandaVision, um, which again, I, I keep going back to it, as, as, as them kind of doing for TV what they did for film. And I think that, uh, I think there's a real appetite here for that Marvel magic. I think there's been a lot of uh, heavy stuff over the last year. And I think that kind of good-natured Marvel magic is what people want more than anything right now. I absolutely um, agree, yeah. And, and, and you have a break, and you, you've had a chance to miss it. You know, it's not been these three films a year, multiple shows, 
um, it, it feels good to be back at the MCU again. And it makes me really, really excited what 2021, 2022 are going to hold for the MCU, kind of being back into that cozy spot again. I agree with you. Um, I think it was necessary to do like a nice little break uh, because superhero fatigue is real. It's a, it's a thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially after the culmination of everything into Endgame, which felt like a nice love letter and a send off to everybody. Um, after that, I think the way that Marvel, whether intentional or not, because of the pandemic and filming and things like that, uh, coming back with WandaVision, which is such a different take and a different approach, let alone a different medium being TV show, um, is very refreshing. I think it's smart. I think it's smart to give us something kind of avant-garde, if you will, in the beginning. Uh, to peak interest, to, to get the critics on board real fast uh, while it confused a lot of like fans, and then to say, hey, fans, we know you're going to stick around. Here's episode four. You're welcome, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I have told uh, casual fans all around me, I said, look, if you're not into WandaVision looking for hardcore Easter eggs, episode one through three are not for you. Just start with mm-hmm. four, and you'll be happy. And mm-hmm. they go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and then, of course, I had to explain the ending of five and why that was cool, uh, which was fun. Um, but uh, it it still it leaves you with this good feeling like, hey, if you weren't sure about what Marvel could do on Disney Plus, this is a pretty good way to, to dip your toes in that water and see just how good that pool's going to be. And it's still Absolutely. everything that came before it matters it matters an awful lot, but this might change some things going forward and how everything else rolls out, uh, especially since, you know, I said earlier on Disney Day, Marvel is essentially all in on Disney+. Plus. Streaming is the route for Disney at this moment. It has their full attention and focus, uh, and I think that really could benefit everybody from the hardcore fan to the casual fan or the person who's just looking for something new to binge on their streaming service. I, I think that it's, everyone's all in, and it, mm-hmm. it looks really promising. And it, it's going to matter with the story that unfolds in the rest of the cinematic universe as well. I, I completely agree. It's, it's in the same revenue generation for Disney. Um, I oh. think there was that. It's, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm, it's essentially pornographic in the revenue creation oh. department. It's, it's obscene. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, this might be me completely misremembering and misspeaking, but they did some restructuring recently with, um, with regards to Disney executive leadership and kind of doubling down on that focus on Disney Plus. And it, it makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense to, and, and you see that in the content they're putting out. I even think you look at Mandarin season one versus season two and the special effects and the level of professional effort, everything. I just feel like it even skyrockets even further. Season two. Um, we are at a point now where we're getting, I think I said it earlier, we're getting like four hour Marvel films, essentially, um, through Disney Plus. And they're able to, to your point, do these more avant-garde things. They're able to do things that would they would never have the time for, or would be trimmed uh, fat in a film. And it's so cool. You know, I, I think uh, that first episode of WandaVision, <laughs> I know some people don't like it, 
as somebody who grew up on Leave the Beaver and I still watch uh, I Love Lucy quite a bit, um, you know, those classic uh, shows, I genuinely thought the first season of WandaVision was, I have to laugh out loud funny. I thought it was genuinely a good representation of that era of television. Um, and, you know, we're getting these, uh, uh, I keep losing my train of thought, we're getting these shows um, that are, they're just, like I said, there are many movies there in this, and I lost my train of thought again. But the point being that, um, I, I just think that's that okay. It, we, we do that. Oh, I know my thought was, there we go. I know my thought was, it was that, you know, you talked earlier about uh, how WandaVision is pulling in Cat Jennings and Jennings Jennings and, um, um, Agent Parker, uh, I got Ant Man, the Shield Agent for Ant Man, um, fresh off the boat. I can't remember the actor's name. Oh, oh, um, uh, Agent Wu. Agent Wu, thank you. And, you know, they're pulling in actors who have a lot of other commitments. But what's nice about the Marvel thing on Disney Plus is we, we talked about how everybody kind of wants to be involved in, in Marvel. Um, and I think people have come in and out. Like we've seen Natalie Portman come in. That was probably one of the first bigger names that have come into the MCU outside of Robert Downey Jr. But of course, he had a very troubled past when he signed on. Yeah, he was like a risk for movie. the first Iron Man. And then after that, yeah. he was like, okay, I'm going to make more money than any other actor for the next 10 years. <laughs> but whatever. There was an insurance policy on him. Um, Mel Gibson, of all people, paid his insurance policy because the studio only wanted to pay him half a front and half after the film wrap because. God only knew he was going to be a liability on set. Um, and, you know, when you get these people who, like Natalie Portman, who kind of cycled in and kind of cycled out and then I was coming back around again. And I think you get, like I said, it, it's become this centrifugal force inside entertainment where everybody's kind of like, I want a piece of that. I want to be part of that. Matt Damon showing up in a cameo in Thor. Um, three, which, <laughs> which I just was heard so he's going well, to be in Thor 4. Um, it's just uh, a few weeks ago, it's just something like that, like some kind of confirmation on that. You know, like, but Matt Damon doesn't have time to probably fully commit to a six-picture deal for MCU. And my point being, I guess, is that the Disney Plus is easier for people to uh, kind of reprise these roles and come back around again. You know, there's so much rich characters and so much rich uh, talent that is involved in the MCU. And now they have an outlet. Now they can they can do it without being locked in to an entire season or to an entire or a season or a movie, a six movie set or anything like that. Um, I'm really excited to see. It feels like a new day for Marvel in a lot of ways, and a fresh chapter, and a, and a page has been turned. And I think, to your point, it's a new medium. They're doing something different, and for the first time in a long time, that's actually your thoughts. I feel like the sky's the limit again. It feels like it feels really exciting to see where they're going to go next, um, and it's it's been kind of a while since that. It's you know it's, you kind of knew what you were getting a little bit, even as great as it was, you kind of knew what you were getting. Um, and boy, now I just feel like uh, I, I just feel like every week I'm like, what? I don't know what the hell is going to happen now. That's um, my favorite part. To your point, you have an excellent summation right there of what we're looking at with Disney Plus TV shows is you, you don't know where it's going. You don't know what to expect. You wouldn't be surprised if it was some crazy off-the-wall stuff because they've already shown us, yeah, we'll do that. And it's so yeah. incredible to be a fan and to have that excitement again. 
Because let's Absolutely. let's be honest, after Endgame, it was just kind of like, eh. Like that was a moment in a generation, right? Like that's a once in a generation moment. You have that experience and you don't get it again. Uh, but now it, it, it feels like maybe you do and you get it in your house like that. Like how incredible is that? Um, perfect, perfect example is Mandalorian season one. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool. Baby Yoda. Very cool. Right. But the end of season two, you're like, oh my God. Oh, wow. You know, you're left with your jaw on the floor just going, I can't believe they just did that. And that apparently is the bar every week. Which, by the way, thank you, John Favreau uh, and Dave Filoni and everyone involved in Mandalorian and everyone who believes in it uh, because you are giving us some really cool stories. But in the same respect, thank you, everybody involved over with WandaVision because they're showing us again that you don't know what to expect, but if you hang on, you're going to get a massive payoff for it. Uh, and that's, I just can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to see them also somehow dip into like a reverse house of M for Wanda. Yeah. And uh, that's yep. the thing that you and I talked about that I had to hit up on the, on the podcast. Yeah. Because that, I think that's what we get. I think we end up with light touches of house of M which merge into the multiverse of madness. I, I, I think it, it, I think we were talking about this. It makes sense because I don't believe that Marvel would risk the unbelievable wrath of fandom. If they did, I think I touched on this earlier. If they did this, Oh, it's a wink, wink, no, it's a TV. And then they just kind of back, back out. I oh, think, yeah. um, you know, whether Quicksilver is, uh, part of, of the MCU, if he's the one character that kind of crossed over, like uh, the Wolverine, let's say, of of the new X Men, which I think makes sense. I think he's definitely been the most standout character of the of the prequels. <coughs> uh, well, yeah, sorry, sorry, I meant of the of the of the, of the new class. Okay, um, because we know Deadpool's coming in, obviously. Um, but you know, I I think I. I don't know how explicit they're going to get with the season on, on mute. Is it going to be that Quicksilver is kind of around for an episode or two and then is off on his own, something bigger happens that kind of takes your focus away, but we know at the end of the season he's still out there. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how much they, how much content they put in here and kind of rely on audiences, not just catching up with all the movies to understand the bigger picture, but also the TV show. Um, it's going to be interesting, but I think a reverse house at an moment here where she inadvertently pulled in mutants mm-hmm. um, is, is going to be an interesting, interesting thing. We know the multiverse is out there. We know I still would not be surprised if something involving the snap uh, created uh, mutants in some way. Um, but I think the more logical sense here is bringing in from a parallel dimension. I also think fantastic four works really well this way. I think, uh, you know, having this family, it would be interesting to take a 1960s Fantastic Four, make it like Brad Bird's uh, The Incredibles, um, which is already a Fantastic Four kind of knockoff in, yeah. in a, a, a nice way. little parable, if you will. Yeah. And, and, and having them kind of get ripped into modern day a little bit. Um, that would be an interesting, I, I would love to see that kind of take on a Fantastic Four rather than once again, just doing a modern take on all these characters that we've seen 
two times now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I would, be, I would love to hear your thoughts because I'm curious what you think uh, if mutants are going to be, if this show is going to kick it off, if it's going to tease it a little bit, if we're going to get a little bit more um, of a confirmation by the end of this that mutants are part of this and Wanda's been responsible. I do think uh, that WandaVision is laying the groundwork for mutants to enter. And the way I think it happens, uh, which is why I thought it was really interesting you said this as a reverse House of M, is uh, for people not familiar who are listening, House of M was a series that occurred where Wanda Maximoff inadvertently on, um, actually it was directly, but on the suggestion of Quicksilver, she rewrites reality to make everyone happy. And so it gives all the Marvel characters their moment of happiness and they get to be in their own world and their dreams come true, which is a nice riff because in WandaVision, what she's doing is trying to create a world where she's happy, right? And mm-hmm. at the end of the series, she realizes that it won't work. No one can ever be happy. And she's mad at her father, who at the time in Marvel canon was Magneto, uh, that's a little up in the air now, by the way. Uh, but he would <laughs> never choose loving them over mutants um, because it's always been about mutants for him. He would always make the choice to further the cause of the mutant race in the world than just spend time with his kids. Um, which, by the way, in the comic books, Wanda and and Pietro, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet, which are mutants, by the way, um, which yeah. was one of the departures in the MCU because they couldn't say mutant. <laughs> 20th Century Fox did. Uh, but now 20th Century Fox is owned by Disney and the MCU can do whatever they want. Uh, so I think what happens is instead of at the end of House of M where Wanda just loses it and says no more mutants and decimates the mutant population of the Earth, which was at about 5 million and dropped to 198 individuals, in like a, a three word sentence. I think in this one, it's reversed the way you said it. And she brings mutants into existence mm-hmm. with some type of phrase. And they may not be called mutants immediately, but I think she brings them all in somehow. And then they're coined mutants by like the media or whatever. I think that I, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, that makes the most sense for mutants to show up saying that they, that's the reason they don't show up in the battle for New York, you know, in the first Avengers. That's the reason that they're not rounded up uh, when the, you know, superhuman registration act goes into effect from the Sokovia accords. Um, That's the reason they don't show up in Sokovia to fight Ultron. I mean, all these things they they've been absent, but if you bring them in after the fact through a reality altering event, like this, um, I think that makes the most sense. So, I that is that. that is that is my answer to that first question. Uh, the second one, which I don't think you knew you asked, was how do I think the Fantastic Four is going to show up? And I think episode four of WandaVision sets it up very nicely. Uh, they say we're looking at was it C- CBRM? Uh, or CR, uh, what do they call it? Cosmic background radiation. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's familiar with the Fantastic Four knows that their powers come from what? 
cosmic rays. Um, so the first nod to cosmic radiation being around in the MCU is brought to us from this show. And, you know, Darcy Lewis says it. And then later in the episode, or earlier, I think it's earlier when the guy from Sword's talking, they're talking about all the people who went into space uh, who now won't go anymore. So some other folks were going. It, I don't know about you, but it sounds like a family has a much better chance of getting into space now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe than they did, say, oh, a year ago. Yeah. So I, I think it's much more likely that uh, the family somehow gets to be on a mission and gets smoked with cosmic background radiation uh, to grant their powers. I do think it would be interesting, though, if they were to accidentally be pulled out of Westview from the 60s era episode, episode two, uh, those characters to come out and somehow end up as parts of S.W.O.R.D., which would make sense because they're surrounding Westview right now, and then get powered up, right? Like, wouldn't it be fascinating if the Fantastic Four was that 60s kind of character-esque, like, pulled from there but now living in the real world, and then they get powers. Like, I like that, actually. I don't think that's what happens, but I think it's plausible. You could do it now. Well, I like that, too. And to build on that, in episode five, um, they talk about how they're calling in an expert. Uh, I think it was an aerospace engineer. Um, could be Reed. Yeah, right? It kind of lingered for a second. It was one of those, it was one of those things that just didn't feel like a throwaway line. It was like, oh, we're gonna. I, I know somebody who an aerospace engineer. It was, there was a little bit of focus on it. Um, I th- I think the know, first nod to that was they say that people are like, well, Tony Stark. It's like Mm-mm, Tony's dead. So yeah, <laughs> zombie Tony Stark. Marvel zombies. The zombies are Marvel zombies. By the way, <laughs> Marvel zombies happened because of the Fantastic Four. By the way, so mm, that could that's happen. True. That's absolutely true. I, I think um, I I. I we keep kind of, you know, I feel like I'm kind of hitting similar notes for our conversation here, but like, I realistically, as a cynic in me, says, no, there's no way that they would do something like that, Fantastic Four, inside this. But we know John Watts is directing Fantastic Four films. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a director, we have, we know the film's being made, we know this is in the pipeline. And again, this show is defying expectations and what they can do and what they're willing to. I said earlier about how they're swinging for the fences and knocking it out a home run each time. Can you imagine? It's not outside the own possibility for them to finish this season with some kind of Fantastic Four, if not full-blown reveal, not. Um, I, I almost don't think that they would be like, oh, here's the actors who were playing the Fantastic Four. I think we'll kind of get a more traditional um, role out of that kind of thing. But I, I think... I think it's in the cards. I, I think it's certainly it's certainly on the board. I don't think anything's anything. Nothing feels impossible. Um, not with the MCU. Not with everything Kevin Feige's done, and certainly not with WandaVision. That's true. Can you imagine if at the very last episode of this season we get an after credit scene? <laughs> John Krasinski rolls in as, as Reed Richards. <laughs> Emily Blunt right behind him. Just oh my god, oh my god, it's Reed and Sue. Yes. I, you would hear a collective scream uh, oh, nationwide. Twitter would explode. <laughs> the internet breaks. We broke it. We did it. We we ralphed it. We wrecked it. 
<laughs> well, for the record, I want them to be MCU just because I feel like, I mean, it's, uh, it, Reed and Sue is obviously great because they are obviously real husband and wife, but two people who came so ridiculously close to being Marvel characters. Oh, and then absolutely. missing out. It's ridiculously close at the inception of the MCU and missing out. It would be neat to have them in, in some capacity. And I, I think the Fantastic Four would actually be a pretty cool way to do it. It really would. And by the way, it I mean, Krasinski did, he, like, he auditioned to be Captain America. Yeah, he he lost out at the eleventh hour. Um, yes, like it was it was tied. So from my understanding, it was his. It was his for the taking, and I don't remember the exact details. But Chris Evans came in and gave out the kind of performance that really, and 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 Evans really waffled on it. You know, when they offered it to him, because he suffers from uh, pretty bad anxiety. Um, I had no idea. And, yeah, and he yeah. There's interesting. There's some great videos out there about him talking about his anxiety, his his, his struggles to overcome it. Um, and he was understandably spooked by the idea of being locked in, creatively being locked in to this multi-picture deal for this uh, kind of unproven property. Um, and then all the fame and all the uh, spotlight and everything that comes with that. You know, not not just uh, just being famous and being this iconic character, but for your physique and and the shape that you have to be in, and he spoke in quite a, quite a bit about how like he almost turned it down. He came very very close to turning it down. Um, so it was interesting that John Krasinski kind of just kept veering just close enough and missing out. And then obviously Emily Blunt was almost Black Widow uh, until Charles Hansen uh, nailed it. So. Man, she'd be a good Black Widow too, right? She right. Really I would. Yeah. She. I mean, really okay. Like, I'm, I'm on board with all these casting choices, but I think getting them, when, and obviously it's not in stone or anything. It's just it, at this point, it's pretty wild, popular speculation. But that would be fantastic. <laughs> There's a great Photoshop out there um, of John Krasinski as Reed Richards with the silver hair on the side, uh, kind of. Like uh, an ultimate tape. Was that? Yeah, you know, for me personally, you, if you rock the gray, if you rock the silver <laughs> on the temples, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. It, and he's got like kind of the ultimate uh, suit a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yes, it, yes. Something you would see from, you would expect from the film. And it, it's just perfect. Whoever this artist was, I don't know if it was Boss Logic, who this was who did it. Um, it was, just, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Boss Logic. Which, okay, by the way, perfect. great yeah. guy. Great guy. I got oh, to absolutely. got to meet him at a con. Um, oh no way! That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's one one of the cool things we do. By the way, if there's ever a comic con in Tampa, you better believe you're hosting me. Uh, <laughs> the Galactic Dads are going to be at your house. You better believe it. You better believe it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, hang out by the pool and do it. All right. Well, listen. I we could stay and, and chat for hours, and yeah. and obviously uh, we will at a different time. Uh, we we got to have episodes uh, further down the road, especially with new episodes coming out each week. So uh, hopefully if you guys enjoy this, definitely check it out. Uh, some, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you're listening to us on whatever platform. Uh, you also have the opportunity to hear the After Hours episodes and score exclusive Galactic Dads merchandise. We're talking hats, stickers, uh, hoodies, T-shirts, and even signed lithograph of our banner art. 
uh, signed by each member of the show. You can check all that out, plus so much more, at patreon.com slash galacticdads. You can even get your name mentioned on every episode, just like these exciting fellows. Uh, Steve, I I really don't uh, expect you to help out here, but if you want to hang out, I would absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so rock on. So if you are a member of the producer level um, tier supporters of our Patreon, you get mentioned on every episode, like I said before, and we will run through them real fast as this is a bonus episode. Uh, But first up is Keith Jefferson. He is the OG Patreon supporter, uh, a self-described nerd, and a wonderful father in his own right. Um, We appreciate him and everything he has continuously done for the show since the Patreon has gone live. Uh, There's also Special K. Uh, Special K is a wonderful uh, golfer. He beats Jedi John uh, pretty frequently uh, and is coming up pretty high on his trails in the bowling alley. Uh, He's also a massive Star Wars fan and attends Celebration uh, pretty much yearly with Jedi John. Uh, And he is an incredible father as well. Uh, Next up, we have Rob Ryan, which you guys know how much I love saying that name. Uh, He's a really cool, really cool guy, a connoisseur of the board games and uh, always has a funny, witty remark to come at you with. So he is a great guy as well. And that also brings us to one of our almost indispensable members of the uh, Patreon League and also the show itself, and that is TK. Uh, TK, whose number escapes me at the moment because I have show notes in front of me, which I'm so, so sorry about. Uh, but he is the man who's responsible for me posting show notes on the Patreon uh, so you guys can check out our show notes every episode. Uh, he comes up with great content, ideas, and everything is very much involved in the show behind uh, behind the curtain. Uh, so TK deserves a massive applause as well. Uh, but he is not alone now on that uh, I Love You 3000 um, producer level. He has been joined by Special K, who just jumped to that level, and also Joe Peresident, who just jumped up to that level today. Um, Joe President is a wonderful father. I met him at C2E2 years ago. Uh, we bonded over our mutual trash talking of Last Jedi and have been friends ever since. Um, all wonderful guys, and we can't do this show without you guys. So here is your rightly deserved applause. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for us. I want to thank Stephen for joining us today, my friend. It has been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate being here. It was great talking to you. And, uh, glad, to finally, glad to finally be able to uh, pick up our schedules and be on the show. So it was a blast. It is my pleasure to introduce you to the audience, and hopefully we, uh, we get you on a couple more episodes uh, pretty soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, please let me know. I'm happy to come back at any time. And, uh, out for, uh, that's a mistake. I'm going to harass the hell out of you for a while now. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> all right, everybody listen. As We finish up these beers here. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. Please again, like rate review the show, share it with your friends. If you know, geeky dads, dads, geeks, or anybody who just likes pop culture, go ahead and recommend the show to them. Uh, also hit us up on that. Patreon.com slash galactic dads. <laughs> 
to get your chance uh, to score some of that sweet galactic merch. And uh, till then, we appreciate you guys for listening and keep on doing the dad thing.